0: Thanks, worship team. As we continue our series, Once Upon a Marriage, this morning we're going to be looking at a story that may make you go, huh? And uh, as a part of that story, what I want you to get is that there's hope even in the darkest hours of your relationships, and in particular in marriage. So if you have your Bibles or your mobile devices, you can open up to Hosea chapter 1, and we'll be studying from there this morning. If you're a guest or you're checking out faith or you're checking out this idea of Christianity, today is a crazy story. And sometimes you wonder, uh, if you've been to church a little bit or you're checking this stuff out, you're asking the question. Sometimes there are stories in the Bible and they make you go, huh? Like, why are they in there? Why would God include those stories? And so this is probably one of those stories for many people. But I hope at the end of the message this morning, you'll have a, a grasp of that there's hope even in the midst of darkest hours of relationships. And so this story is about a couple by the name of Hosea, which means salvation comes. It's an interesting name. And then also his wife, Gomer. No, not Andy Griffith's friend that ran a store and was in the Marine Corps. But Gomer, his wife, and her name means complete. And uh, typically, whenever we stand before someone, whether it's a priest or a preacher or a judge, and we're at the altar and we're thinking about this idea of getting married, when we make our vows, we do not intend to mess up. You have a plan or you have a dream that in five years or 10 years or 15 or 20, 25 or, or 30 years or even more, you have a dream of what it will look like. You you see the house, you see the kids, the grandkids and all that. But let's be honest, more than half of marriages, now I'm talking about inside the church and outside the church, more than half of the marriages end up in divorce. They don't make it a lifetime. And I believe that there's a variety of factors and reasons for that and, and we we'll, won't we'll, don't have the time to delve into all of that, but I think one of the major reasons is that we struggle to live because we live in a throwaway culture, a culture that's easy come, easy go, casual hookups, playing house, um, all these things, and that the things that, uh, as we understand from Scripture, the things that are reserved for marriage, the covenant relationship between the two, aren't necessarily reserved for that anymore. And so that the difference between dating and courting and marriage, there's there's a a blending of those things and there's not a clarity of the difference. And so when you carry someone across the threshold that many times you're carrying across the threshold to a house and you've already experienced much of what marriage is, what much of what marriage is. And so it's just literally a a exchange of rings and a little ceremony. I'm going to. Give you bonus material, okay? It's kind of like that little piece of gum you get with your pack of cards in the old days. Some bonus material for you. You can write notes on this. This is the deal. First thing, young people. God is not surprised that sex is incredible. Okay? Y'all write that down. Take note. God is not surprised that sex is incredible. He created it. He had a pure joy for us. It is incredible stuff. Single adults. Single adults. God is not surprised that sex changes the relational bond between two people. Because when two become one, there's a bond that happens that's unbreakable. And so now the relationship becomes distorted outside of the covenant relationship. So again, God has designed something beautiful for us. And the confines of marriage is where it is experienced best. And here's what I'll tell you as well. Young adults, newly married adults, whatever... Sex only gets better with time. It only gets better with time because of the intimacy value, because of the ability to communicate, the ability to talk, the ability to fail, the ability all within the confines of the marriage covenant creates sexual behavior, intimacy between two people that does not get better than that because there's not shame, there's not regrets, there's not worries. There's ability to truly be intimate and vulnerable with one another in that setting. And that is the beauty of the sexual intimate relationship together. I know I sound like an old fuddy-duddy. Right? I know. I get it. Many of you are married now or want to be married one day and, and you're going to run in and face some bumps in the road. And that the normal logic in a throwaway culture is to run away because it's difficult, it's not easy. And when things get tough, we want to run somewhere else And not deal with it. But what I want to do today is for us to look at a story with Hosea and Gomer that is extremely painful. Extremely painful. Adultery is involved. But it's very beautiful at the same time. We will see that there is, even with the good reason because of adultery, that there's reason for divorce. Oftentimes to walk through the valley of trouble, God has something different for us. So this morning, as you open up your Bibles to Hosea chapter 1, we're going to be looking at this couple with funny names, Hosea and Gomer. It's right after Daniel. It's right before Amos. So as you look there, as you turn there, I'm going to give you a little bit of context. This is about 750 years before Jesus, okay? And so at the time, the leader of the northern kingdom, there were two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom and there was the southern kingdom. And in the northern kingdom, there were the ten of the tribes. And in the southern kingdom, there were two tribes. And so the northern kingdom was experiencing, under Jeroboam II, was experiencing a great amount of prosperity. There was a great amount of wealth. And so as typical, whenever there's great amount of wealth, whenever you look throughout history, whenever a nation or peoples get wealthy, their morals begin to wane and to drop. And so again, I think if you look through history, you can see even some of that happening in our culture, that as we've prospered as a nation, our values, our core values have changed and are under attack. And so as money increases, our spiritualness, our spiritual desire to know God and be in a relationship with God decreases. And as the Bible talks about it, we pursue idols and we pursue adulterous affairs. And so that's what we're going to see here. And so God, in the midst of that, raised up a guy by the name of Hosea, who was a prophet. And he was given a very unique, specific call for a specific time and was given a difficult task. And that there are times for us as followers of Jesus, that there are things that God asks us to do that may make us go, huh, and why in the world? And this is definitely one of them. So in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, it says this. This is Hosea's call. When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said this to him. Go and marry a woman of promiscuity. Now, The Old Testament word, the Hebrew word for promiscuity, literally means go marry someone who has the characteristics, who has the character of a past, who is promiscuous, a harlot, and a prostitute. So God is asking something very unique of a man of God. Now, we don't know the theologians discuss and fight over these different things, and, and they don't know if it was... That she was already a prostitute or that the red flags of her character were as such that this was going to happen later on in the relationship. And so we kind of got that. So all we know is that in the future, she's going to struggle. So go and marry a woman of promiscuity. And then let's add to that and that she is going to have children out of that promiscuous relationship. So she's going to have children and children are going to be in your house that are not your children. Why? Because I want the people to see that the land that they're living in is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by banding the Lord. So Hosea went and married Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. So let's put it like this. The two are starry-eyed and dreamy-eyed. They're at the altar. They're excited about getting married, and nothing has happened and broken their relationship to this point. So Hosea and Gomer are standing at the altar, and all the hopes and dreams that a married couple have are before them. And so they're there, and they're thinking about it, and the honeymoon is coming up. And so they get married. They exchange vows exchange rings, and everybody throws. We don't throw rice anymore, but the bubbles and all that stuff. And everybody's so excited and applauding. And they go off to the Caribbean or Caribbean, whichever one you want, and they enjoy a honeymoon together. And lo and behold, they enjoyed each other so much they conceived a son and his son was named Jezreel, which means God sows. And again, it's this idea of God. There's so much ahead of them, great dreams and everything above and beyond for them. And then the honeymoon ends. Life happens. So if anybody's been married more than a couple of months, you know what I mean. You get the first bill in or something comes in. Life begins to happen. And so Hosea goes to work. He's got an eight to five job and Plus, he's working overtime so he can pay the bills. He's got a baby coming and diapers are expensive and and all these different things. You got a lot of responsibilities and and, and you want more for your wife. You want more for your children or better for your children than maybe even what you had. And so you work extra and you're constantly gone. And that's Hosea's world. That's Hosea's life. And Gomer's stuck at home with a baby and Netflix and Facebook and dirty diapers and dishes and She's wondering when Hosea is coming home. She's texting, when are you going to come home? And he's like, I'm working late. I'm trying to make extra money. Then one of those Hallmark love stories come on and she remembers that Hosea used to pursue her and that she had this idea of this perfect wedding this perfect marriage and everything was going to be storybook and that it would would snow and it wouldn't be cold. You know what I mean? It was just going to be perfect Hallmark type. But it wasn't working out like she'd hoped. Then an old friend catches her attention on social media. She sees someone's Facebook or Instagram and their filtered world looks exactly perfect and she begins to dream of old high school or college love and thinks, man, if I had to just, what if? And all those thoughts begin to raise. And this is how we end up in trouble in our marriage, in our relationships. We end up in this situation because at the beginning we think that that marriage Is about me, and if you've been married for a little bit, you realize that the most selfish place that you can be is not in marriage because marriage teaches you how to be selfless, because you thought it was going to meet your needs, and then you realize if you're going to stay married for anything, if you're not going to fight all the time, marriage is about giving. And then you add kids to it, and you're just giving and giving and giving. And when you thought marriage was going to be about me and my needs being met, your world is flipped upside down, and so you're disappointed and you're dissatisfied. And then somewhere along the way, you begin to divert your feelings and your affections to to someone else because it's just more exciting. There's some excitement about that that new pursuit of someone pursuing you and wanting you and saying those sweet, tender things to you. Because the other one is so busy, they've they've already pursued you, they've got you, and they're working hard to, to provide for you. But it's easy to get distracted. And so there's this slow deterioration of a once heavy bond between one another and this pursuit of one another because the pursuit is gone. And that we get busy with life and we don't schedule date nights. We don't have these times because kids are there and we pursue the idol of our kids having a better life. And so it's easy for the deterioration to happen. And, and all of a sudden, then we begin to think that there's this fantasy world that we want. And we've had this fantasy marriage and, and it's not quite working out like we'd hoped. And so we forget that fantasy isn't real. Right? That my future dreams out here have got to be better than my current reality. They've got to be. And so we pursue this fantasy filter thing that, and then the reason that we end up here is because of all these misunderstandings and these distorted expectations and these teen magazine dream questionnaires that you've done. They don't quite meet up to life, right? Because you bring all of these false expectations into marriage and what it's going to be like and then all of a sudden it doesn't meet up to those things. And so we end up in this place where my future has got to be better than this. As a matter of fact, in Hosea chapter 2 verse 5, that's where Gomer's at. They started off well, they had a child, but the the busyness of life begins and in Hosea chapter 2 verse 5 it says this, For she thought, I will follow my lovers. The men who give me my food and water, my wool and flax, my oil and my drink. In other words, I'll pursue someone else because they pursue me and it makes me feel good and wanted. Pastor Craig Rochelle says it this way. If the grass looks greener in your neighbor's yard, then start watering your own. All right. So if you start looking at someone else's situation, again, especially in a filtered world, their world may look better and begin to think, well, I need to start Fertilizing and watering my own yard. Hosea and Gomer were in trouble. She began to look elsewhere and to think, it's got to be better over here. And so she pursued others. And in her pursuit of others, she had two children. Her second child, the name of the, the daughter was Lo Ruhama, which is a great name. It's a daughter, which means no compassion. And then she, as soon as the scripture tells us that as soon as she weaned that child, she pursued other men and had another child, a son named Loami, and which means not my people. And you can imagine the pain and agony of a broken relationship, whether it's adultery, physical adultery, emotional adultery, whatever it is. We live in a world where There's more adultery now through Facebook and Instagram and all this stuff than ever before because people think that there's a better future than their current reality and forgetting that all that stuff is filtered. And so the pain and the agony of of adultery and of a broken relationship is a real thing. It's it's life for us. And and so many times in church we kind of run away from it, but but it's reality. And, And so what is a natural response to this? What would God's response be? In Hosea chapter 2, we see in verses 8 and following, that see God responds in anger, a righteous, jealous anger. Now, I know that that seems selfish, but in reality, God's righteous, jealous anger is because he understands completely that when one of us as his children pursues something else that's not him, it's going to fall short, it's going to provide something for us, for temporary, but it's going to be fleeting, but it's going to cause us harm. It's going to cause us pain. It's going to cause us shame. It's going to have regrets. And so in that moment when we pursue something else, God is jealous for us because he perfectly loves us and wants us to experience his perfect love and what it means to sit in his yard, in his house, and enjoy his food with him. And then when we go and we pursue others, there's a distortion and we're going to lose out. On the beauty and the depth of our relationship with God the Father. even says this. Here's his anger. Verse 8. She does not recognize that, remember, she went and pursued other things. She does not recognize it is I who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the fresh oil. It is I who lavished her with silver and gold, which they used to even worship false idols through Baal. Therefore, I will take back my grain and its time and my new wine and its season. I will take away my wool and my linen, which was used to cover her nakedness, and I will expose her shame in the sight of her lovers, and no one will rescue her from my power. And I will put an end to all of her celebrations. Now, that's a jealous, righteous anger that God is saying, listen, they think that they can pursue these other things and will provide this. But I am the one that provided and covered. But. God being God. We see in verses 14 through 15. Not his anger. Righteous jealous anger turns. To pursuit. That he understands that because of his perfect love. That He's, he's jealous for our affections. And that we have pursued others. But in this moment he flips it. And he says, I want to allure, I literally want to pursue my loved ones. Verse 14 and 15. Therefore, I'm going to persuade her, or literally allure her or woo her and lead her to the wilderness or desert. In other words, I'm going to I'm going to woo her and we're going to walk into the desert together into the wilderness where there's no one else, where there's no distractions, that it's just the two of us. I don't know if you've ever been in this place where you've had a conversation with someone and the conversation is so good and you're so enthralled in that conversation that the rest of the world and the chaos of the world is going around around you. But it just is the simpleness of just the two of you in conversation. You don't even realize that everything else because everything else is seemingly stopped because of this conversation. And that's the image here is that, that God is going to allure us and woo us and pursue us and take us to the place of the wilderness so that he has our full attention, our hearts, our eyes, our minds. Everything is fully focused on him. Why? Because he wants to speak sweet, tender words into her ear, those sweet nothings into her ear. And then he says, there, I'll give her her vineyards back, not just a cup of wine, but I'm going to give her all of the vineyards and I will make the valley of Achor into a gateway or a door of hope. You might want to underline that valley of Achor. It literally means the valley of trouble. The valley of trouble. And I'll come back to it. And there in that valley of trouble, when she gets to the door of hope. She will respond as she did in the days of her youth. As in the days when she came out of the land of Egypt. She came out of the place of slavery and of bondage. This valley of, of hope, the valley of trouble is one that, that we all have to walk through. That, that there's a place where we're going we're gonna to have to walk through some trouble. We're going to have to walk through some struggles. We're going to have to walk through life. But at the end of that valley, there is hope. There's two ways to be successful in marriage. Way number one is do everything right all the time. Possible, right? No, it's not possible. You know, you might have the perfect wife, you might have the perfect husband, but you're never going to be right all the time. The two of you together are going to have different ideas, different agendas, because we're naturally, we're selfish and we want what we want, when we want it, how we want it. And so you're never going to be perfect. The other way to have a successful marriage is you're going to have to walk through the valley of acor together, the valley of trouble, so that you can get to to the door, to the gateway of hope. That you're going to have difficult times but that you're going to have to, in that moment, walk together through the valley of trouble so that you can get to the place of hope. And That that is life. That is marriage. That is relationships. You are going to struggle, and you're going to have some places where you're going to walk into the wilderness, you're going to walk into the desert, you're going to walk into the valley of trouble, you're going to walk into this place, and you're going to think, how in the world can we get through this mess? And that the only way that you can get through it is that you can see on the other side, on the other end, that there's a gateway and a door to hope. That how can you walk through adultery? How can you walk through some of the things that married couples walk through? How can you get to that door to hope? Hosea tells us in Hosea chapter 3 that we can deal with this broken trust this way. Verse 1, Then the Lord said to me, Go again and show love to a woman who is loved by another man. Go again and show love. Continue to pursue, to continue to seek after. How can we do this? Second part, just as the Lord loves the Israelites, just as the Lord loves you, and have turned to other gods and to to raisin cakes, just as you have been loved, pursue. Just as you have been pursued, pursue. Listen, there are no guarantees that your marriage will not end in divorce. You can do everything right and you still end up divorced. And some of you think, Chris, you don't understand. Your wife and your marriage are perfect. Back that manure truck up. My wife is extremely great and I'm incredibly awesome. But we're not going to do everything right. We're going to mess up and we're going to fail. And I tell you, like I tell you, we have walked through many valleys of acor, through valleys of trouble, but with the knowledge of on the other side, there's a gateway of hope. And that we've walked through some difficult things, some struggles of life, because there are times that, that I'm extremely selfish. There's times that Becky's a little selfish we fight and we struggle and we walk, but through the valley of trouble, we get to the other side. I had the opportunity to sit with couples who've walked through the most dark and difficult days. And they've walked through this valley of the road, this valley of acor, this valley of trouble. And they've said something like this to me in several different ones and different ways. And they said, I've never dreamed this would be my story and that I would have to endure this. And I would not wish it on anyone else. But I would not give up what I have now. I know that the valley of trouble has brought me into this place of hope. And my faith and my marriage are better for it in those moments where we naturally want to run away and we want to flee, that together as a couple that have made a covenant and that we walk through some of the darkest, most difficult times together and we press into and we lean into each other and we press into and lean into Jesus and we press into and we lean into true Christian biblical accountability life, people doing life on life, walking together through the valley of Acor is the only way that we can get to the place that we see the gateway and the door of hope, even in the darkness. Because in that valley of of trouble, it's dark, and there's traps and there's snares and there's all kinds of things that we can't see, but we can only do it walking together. Verse 2. So this is what Hosea did. So I bought her. Listen, she had not just become... A promiscuous wife. She was literally owned by another man who was selling her. And that he had to, their relationship was so far gone, he had to collect his money. He had to collect what he had to go buy his woman back and to bring her back into his household. And that—that that, that is what God has done for us, that we have spent so far gone from him that we think that we are better, that we think that we have wisdom, we think that we know how to do life so much better, and we pursue all these other things that are fleeting. And God says, you are worth, I am going to go sell what I've got, I'm going to give the most precious thing that I have in the person of Jesus Christ to bring you back into the household with me. And that walking through the valley of trouble, that he would walk and say, you are my wife. And bring her back. It can be easy. Here's what he says to her. You are to live with me many days. You must not be promiscuous or belong to enter man, and I will act in the same way to you. In other words, they stood before each other at the altar before God and recommitted the covenant together. God restores and makes brokenness beautiful and useful. I know that the world says that there's things that make it easy to, to walk away, and there's times to walk away. I'm not saying that. There's, there's toxicness. There's brokenness. But sometimes, just sometimes, God has something different for us, and it's a beautiful story of what God can do when we walk through the valley of trouble. That there's hope even in the darkest hours of our relationships, and in particular with our marriage. I pray for us is that as we pursue this idea of marriage, and that all of us are in different places in our marriages and our relationships, and that some, you're in the valley of trouble right now, I tell you, do not despair, do not give hope. There's a doorway. Some of you, maybe you've been divorced, and you're thinking about this again, this idea of marriage again, and as we've talked about, be patient, wait, make sure, double check, seek counseling, seek wisdom so that you can walk, because marriage is difficult. It doesn't get any easier a second time. In our darkest hours, God's a God that drives us and walks us through the valley of trouble. Let's pray together. Dearly Father, thank you for this story. To give us hope, even in the most difficult of relationships, the most difficult of marriages, that there's hope. Father, no matter the depths of our trouble, no matter the depths of our struggles, there's hope. Father, may we be challenged. May we just think deep on this truth that you are a God that deals with brokenness and restores seemingly irreparable things. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.